The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Play action pass by Cousins. Throws right to a Hawkeye. Tyler Sash lateral the ball off to Micah High. He might go inside the five, lunging, touchdown! It's all made possible by Tyler Sash. Outstanding job. Cousins underthrows the ball to B.J. Cunningham. Sash picks it off, and Micah Hyde takes it to the house. Marvin McNutt doing everything right. Touchdown, Iowa. 22 yards on the pass from Ricky Stanzi. Well, Ricky Stanzi could have read War and Peace back there. He had so much time. Just a great job of protection. And Marvin McNutt, former high school quarterback. Stanzi beat him out a couple of years ago, so he moved to wide receiver. And he's become one of Stanzi's favorite targets. He's actually their leading receiver in the Big Ten conference games this year. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is the first of two shows this week as we offer our roundtable review, insight bowl preview, and year-end recruiting update. This show features all of the Hawkeye's Mike regulars, former Hawkeye and NFL star Marv Cook, Hawk Central's Pat Hardy, and Hawkeye Insider publisher Rob Howe along with Sean Patchett. You'll hear from Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz and defensive coordinator Norm Parker. We've also selected some of our favorite play-by-play calls from the 2010 regular season. These game highlights are courtesy of ABC, ESPN, and the Big Ten Network. Due to Iowa's preseason rankings and its play throughout much of the season, for the most part, the networks assign some of their top crews to call the Hawks games. Consequently, the play-by-play and expert commentary was generally very good this past year. We very much appreciate it and thank all three networks. Chancho, when you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. He's for fun. Fourth down here for the Panthers, and they're going to punt it away. And the punt's blocked! The Hawkeyes with a special teams play of the day! A punt block, scoop, and score for Iowa! And it was Paki O'Meara. They got the job done. Special team standout for the Hawkeyes. Vandenberg hands off to Robinson again, his 10th carry of the day, and he carries some defenders with him. And he powers his way towards the five. It wasn't just Robinson. He had a convoy of offensive linemen helping carry the pile for an Iowa first down. 15-yard pickup. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use and by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Robinson, big open, Got one man to beat in the foot race. 20, 15 at the 10. Reverses his field. Touchdown. No, they're going to say down at the one yard line. It's a run of 75 yards. And listen to the crowd booing the official. They thought he got in. Robinson down the sideline. 10, 5. Touchdown. Buckeyes. Well, first, a 54-yard strike to the tight end, Reisner. And then on the very next play, 
Robinson takes it the distance. 97 yards in three plays using only one minute and 20 seconds. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. We thought you might find it interesting and informative to take a look at how the Iowa Hawkeyes ended up the season in team rankings in terms of the 120 schools in the football bowl subdivision and how they ended up ranking in the Big Ten Conference in several key statistical areas. The Hawks ended up in terms of rushing offense number 76 nationally and ninth in the Big Ten. In terms of passing offense, 45th nationally and 5th in the Big Ten. Total offense, Hawks 61 nationally and 8th in the Big Ten. Scoring offense, 49th nationally and 6th in the Big Ten. In terms of defense, the Hawks were much better. Rushing defense, 6th nationally, 2nd in the Big Ten. Pass efficiency defense, 18th nationally, 2nd in the Big Ten. Scoring defense, 7th nationally and 2nd in the Big Ten. Total defense, 15th nationally and 2nd in the Big Ten. Kickoff returns, the Hawks ended up ranked 15th nationally and second in the Big Ten Conference. Turnover margin, seventh nationally, third in the Big Ten. Pass defense, 55th nationally, and sixth in the Big Ten. Tackles for loss, 112th nationally, and 11th in the Big Ten Conference. In terms of individual rankings, passing efficiency, Ricky Stanzi ended the regular season ranked 11th nationally and second in the Big Ten Conference. And in total offense, he ended up 45th nationally and sixth in the Big Ten. Sean Prater led the Big Ten in interceptions and he was tied for 31st nationally and Brett Greenwood came in tied for second in the Big Ten and tied for 33rd nationally. Kickoff returns Darrell Johnson Koulianos finished the season ranked 8th nationally and 1st in the Big Ten Conference. Bottom line on those statistical categories and the Hawks rankings once again we see the pattern holding that's been the case for the last few years the Hawks consistently rank very high nationally in defensive categories and mediocre in offensive categories. They've done studies, you know, 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. First and 10. There's the play fake. Open on the post. Six points. Touchdown, Johnson Gulianos. And the gold and black are back. Play action pass. Vital part of Iowa's offense. No Iowa's, Iowa receiver drafted since 2001. I think Koulianis is going to break that streak for the Hawkeyes. And it's picked off. Bins. Hawkeyes. You'd never know there's only 12,000 of them there, black and gold clad. And the Hawkeyes now an extra point from taking the lead. And what a incredible turnaround. A calamitous turnaround from an Arizona standpoint. That defensive front has come to life for the Hawkeyes. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 
24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings. Moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Visit prefins.com. Obviously, it's a year that failed to meet expectations for fans, the media, and regardless of what Kirk says from time to time, I'm sure the team's expectations as well. I'll step in first because I was on the 1988 team that was ranked number one in preseason, USA Today, and uh, we ended up 6-4-3, and, three, and um, you know, three ties were against Michigan, Michigan State, and uh, Ohio State, so, you know, not, not unlike this year that a lot of those close games that we lost were against BCS type teams and and uh, games that they could have won and should have possibly won but you know very disappointing from that standpoint now we were I thought we had holes I, I, I thought this team across the board for the most part was pretty solid at our defense and an offense had enough skilled guys to get it done and be a BCS caliber team and so that's the disappointing part about this season I had them going nine and three, but I not to blow my horn, but I thought that they would go eight and four more so than ten and two. I just there was just something about this team this year. I don't know what it was. And to me, you can explain every loss on their schedule this year, except for Minnesota, of course. You can never explain that. So I think the year before the ball rolled their way, they had good chemistry. They avoided most serious injuries other than Stanzi. This year, that didn't happen. They seemed like they were sort of an unlucky team. And now, looking back on it, I don't think they were as well-led as we maybe thought they were when things were going well. Even after that Arizona game, the one thing Kirk talked about was how much great chemistry they had on that team. Now I begin to wonder about that because I cannot still figure out how they lost that Minnesota game. Yeah, I think, well, at least from my perspective, I underestimated how much they would miss A.J. Eads and, and Pat Anger and Amari Spivay. I think those were, not that the defense didn't play well this year, it's just that at the end of the game when you needed guys to make plays, you were missing three NFL playmakers. I also think it was, if you look at the first half of the Big Ten season, Penn State, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Michigan State, they were playing at a pretty high level, and then for some reason in November, it just fell apart. I'm wondering if that Michigan State game, how easy they had it with a team that was ranked top five, if that didn't go to their heads a little bit. Well, that, that had been the M.O. of Kirk Ferentz teams is in November they get better, yeah, and they keep continuing to get better every week. That was the biggest disappointment of, of this season. So definitely shocker. Well they, don't, well, they don't handle expectations well. In 08, they weren't expected to do much because that was coming after 07. 09 was coming after Sean Green. It just seems like when they're set up to succeed, to me, that almost is like pointing them in the wrong direction. They just don't seem to handle that mentality very well. We really haven't talked since the Minnesota game. Let's spend just a couple of minutes. Was that, was that game a microcosm of the team's November? Uh, experience this year and fairly representative of really all five of their losses or was that even worse? I actually wasn't at that game. I watched it on television and I think I got a better feel for the game by watching it on television. Sometimes when the press box you're so far away and you can't really see things but the thing that stood out to me in that game was from the very beginning how a very poor Minnesota offensive line just pushed around the Iowa defense and they were way more physical. Iowa just didn't seem like they even wanted to be there and then you got those bizarre statements afterwards. I don't know what happened in that game but to me if they played 10 times you'd like to think Iowa wins nine that this just happened to be that one time but I could not 
get a handle on the physicality part, why Iowa just seemed like they just weren't there. And that came a week after giving Ohio State a really good run. It's just, you know, standing there with my tape recorder or my recorder up to Adrian Claiborne's face, and he says, we lost our will to win. I mean, I don't really think you need to say much more than that to know that something was broke down the stretch with this team. Alan Reisner says, hey, we could feel something on the way up here was missing. And those are statements that I think maybe as you're going through, and Marv can probably speak to this, maybe you don't really realize it. And then once you hit rock bottom, as they did against Minnesota, then you realize, hey, maybe we weren't paying attention to some of the things that were going wrong. Well, and I, I actually forgot. I mean, believe it or not, how, you're right. We were playing at an unbelievable pace and, and and level of play. You know that Michigan, Michigan State, um, you know Wisconsin. I mean that, that that stretch of games that early in the Big Ten where we were right there with them, and then uh, you know thinking we're a top ten type team, and then just to see the the complete disconnect in the last four or five games was just was just amazing to me. But um, we looked cold in Minnesota. The other team looked jacked and ready to go. And we just—you're we, right. We didn't look like they, they looked like they did not want to be there. They did not want to be a part of it, and uh, and it showed in the way they played. And, and uh, uh, that was the biggest frustrating thing for for me was just watching with. I mean, and you know, just it looked like a lack of of want and a lack of effort. Um, and, and and that's the one thing that you can never, you know. I mean, the one thing you can always control is how hard you play. You know, just give everything you got. And it, we just looked like we were lethargic. We did not want to be there on that Saturday against Minnesota. What do those two players' comments mean to you as a former player? I mean, it's uh, you, we talk about this all the time. You get, what, 11 Saturdays, you know? We, Sean and I talk about it, I mean, numerous times. I mean, it, it's Big Ten football. It's what you get up and what you want to go play college football for. And it's an opportunity to play in the Big Ten. And, and to play on Saturdays and, and to be able to just lay an egg like that was was frustrating and, and uh, you know I mean it goes back to just I mean I, I there's a part of me that says I, I hope it was just the fact that you know they were so locked in on a national championship the, the ability to play for a BCS and, and to be able to, to play at that ultimate level and then when that kind of slipped away from them after the Ohio State game and they realized you know what now we got two or three losses we're out of that mix but, I mean, there's still no excuse. I mean, you're still playing. You know, they were still playing for a January 1 bowl game. If they win at Minnesota, I, I truly believe they're playing for a January 1 bowl game, which is huge for the University of Iowa, huge for our exposure across the country. And, and to go out and lay that egg was just very, very disappointing to me. And it would have been different had Minnesota scored on, like, a triple reverse, a flea flicker, two kick returns, and an interception. They just ran between the tackles up and down the field and just pushed Iowa back. And I just never thought I would see that from any Big Ten team, let alone Minnesota. It's the most yards they gave up this year on the uh, ground. It was like 20 games. I mean, if they look at the schedule and the teams that they played and where those teams are playing in January and how, you know, the bowls they're going to, they did better against those teams than they did against a team that went 3-9. and nine. Yeah. And that was a team that Northern Illinois pushed around like they were even there. I mean, they pushed Minnesota around the way Minnesota pushed Iowa around. You've talked about it several times about, you know, we talked about Iowa's rushing defense and the D-line, and, and you talked about last year's Ohio State game, and that was the most rushing yards Iowa gave up since last year's last year. Ohio yeah. State game. Yeah. Well, I think you might, we might actually talk about this a little bit later, but, you know, sometimes when you're so bad offensively, your defense is out there for a longer period of time, the offense starts to get the hang of you. I mean, it, I, I think people, 
know what we're going to do offensively. We are who we are. I mean, you can go back and watch Brad Banks. You can go watch, back and watch Nathan Chandler, quarterback this team. That's the offense we run. I mean, we're, we're not going to change from what we do and who we are. And, and teams are starting to gravitate to that. You've seen it on special teams. When you get too predictable, teams are going to start taking advantage of that. They're going to start doing things from a scheme, schematic standpoint. They're going to make you look bad. And I think a lot of that has to do with just, you know, good coaching on the other side. Everybody agree that Costa's what, the outback? Yeah, I don't think the cap one was in reason with Michigan State not making the BCS. I mean, the three, you had three co-champions that went 11-1. and one. I think the outback probably was the best they could hope for. And who knows? I mean, the outback, you know, we've been in the outback how many times? Four times? Maybe they t would have taken a pass even if, you know, the Minnesota game was a win. But then maybe you get a better shot at the Gator. Not that the Gator's better than the inside. But, so you, but you have two teams that you've beaten going to better bowl games than you. I mean, Michigan and, and Penn, State. Penn State. Penn State. One because yeah. it's Michigan and the other because of Joe Pa. And because Iowa lost to Minnesota. I mean, you, those three things. And I don't know if people would have wanted to see Florida and Iowa again yeah. in, a, in a bowl game. I don't think the inside bowl is that bad of a no, they actually landed reward on their feet. for this team, especially after that Minnesota effort. I mean, they still have a chance to go win eight games and to salvage something out of this, but they're still not going to be able to change what happened up in Minneapolis. Hey, you looked well, at that game in Minneapolis, and they would, you know, Darrell sparked them, yeah. you know, got them leads a couple times, and they just, it, then they fell right back on their it was It was bizarre. Imagine that game without him. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get that chance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, We'll see it in a couple of weeks. <laughs> he was one of, he and Coker, I know Coker fumbled, but to me, they were the two guys that came to play that day. I mean, Stanzi was just throwing the ball long for the whole month of November. And he, and he had a bad week of practice, it sounded like. So, really? you know, so yeah. DJK to play those last three quarters well was, I'm joking, because that was the reason he didn't oh, start. Oh, right. Sandman had a better week of practice. Sandman had a better week of practice. As a couple of you have said, that was one of the more bizarre explanations. That was just Kirk's way of he just was kind of shrugging off. Kirk, at this stage, didn't care what he said for an explanation. He he knew, we knew what, sort of what was going on, but we've heard that he was the last guy to get onto the practice field for the Friday walkthrough, and Kirk made reference to it and said something to the effect, somebody's got to be the last guy coaching. It sounds like Kirk didn't like that statement. It's just unfortunate that it was still, and I hope Kirk's somewhat responsible for that, too. To me, as the multi-million dollar head coach, you got to figure out a way to get into all your players' heads the right way. It takes two to get along, and I know Darrell was a problem, but they could never figure out a way to work it out. Five years. Five years. Whatever else you say, he was one player who always, I hate cliches, but that's what sports is full of, but he was always one player who looked like he was ready to play on game day, though, whatever was going on in the practice field during the week. I mean, he, he climbed his back in Ohio State last year. The kick return was yeah. huge. I mean, the guy can flat out play. Uh, it's just unfortunate the circumstances that surround the, his, his whole his whole tenure at Iowa now. Well, let's let's step back a minute before we get into some of what we don't like about the season. Let's try to look at some positives. I'd like sort of your sense of what what were the bright spots this year overall, and what stood out in terms of things the Hawks can build on in 2011, and what players exceeded your expectations. Well, I'll say I'll start with James Morris was a bright spot, and Marv can kind of attest to the joy of not having to coach against him anymore. I thought Mike Daniels was a bright spot. I thought the fact that they were still able to get a good, productive year out of a tight end, even though he's gone, it still shows that the Iowa tight end. Alan Reisner was second-team All-Big Ten. 
I mean, you said Coker. I mean, you think about what we went into the season with Wegger, yeah. Robinson, Hampton. and uh, Hampton, and it ends up being Coker. And he's a good back. Yeah. Coker showed he's a good Big Ten back. I think there were some bright spots. Sean Prater is a, is a good cornerback that's got a chance to have a good senior year and what have you. But... Um, offensive line. Oh, yeah. The other thing is definitely the offensive line because I thought they were going to be very suspect, and they, to me, were pretty cons- – never great, but never never mediocre. Always above average, I thought, pretty much most of the year. So there was enough positives to build on. They won seven games, so you just kind of go from there. But none of it matches what the expectations were. Yeah, that offensive line coming into the season was the biggest question mark, and it ended up being one of the most consistent units on a, in a positive way on the team. And, you know, you were replacing – I don't know what, three or four starters on that unit, and they stayed consistent all year. And I think talking about going ahead into 2011, I know we'll talk about that more later, but they all come back. So now you have a foundation of a good good offensive line for 2011 going forward with a new quarterback um, and some other young tight ends, things like that. Putting on your coach hat, what's your sense of that? You know, I, I guess – I look at this group of guys, and we talked about it earlier off the air, but, you know, I mean, the last three years they've lost 10 games, 10 or 11, and not one of them has been by more than five or six points, not one. That's, that's unbelievable when you think about it, how close we were to being perfect, uh, or they were to being, to being that good. And, and, the, and the moments this senior class has given us over the last, I mean, Claiborne, the block punt at Penn State, I mean, you know, McNutt, the, the slant at Michigan State, DJK's return against Ohio State. I mean, you can go down the list of the great moments the senior class has given us. And so a lot of positives, and, it, and it's just too bad that the senior year has to go out this way because this has been arguably the best senior class ever from a winning standpoint, from, from getting the program from where it was three years ago, four years ago, when they first got on campus to where it was last year and to where it was in the preseason was, was truly amazing. And they are the first group of guys that can actually win three straight bowl games in Iowa history. Uh, so it's a senior class that has, still has a lot to play for uh, at the end of December. On the uh, draw, the Hawkeyes are having nothing of it. Mike Daniels, they call him the Beast. 6'1", <laughs> 275, a junior out of Blackwood, New Jersey. First down. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Mike <laughs> <Two>. Daniels. <laughs> Williams, and I mean to tell you, the Beast was waiting for it. Third down, a little bit more than 10. Page never felt the pressure coming right up the middle by Mike Daniels, who has had an outstanding day along that defensive line. Four tackles behind the line of scrimmage for Daniels unofficially. Stanzi, plenty of time going deep for Johnson Coleridos. Touchdown! What a throw! What a catch! You see... Ricky Stanzi looked to the sideline and said, I had to take the shot right there. The Iowa Hawkeyes throw it deep as often as anybody in the country. And they throw it better downfield than most anybody in the country. And they lead here 35-0. Let's turn to the other side of the coin. Given the hype, the expectations, the experience, and the talent. We've talked about all season long, especially at a lot of the skill spots. 
Is it fair to characterize this as maybe the most disappointing team in Ferentz era at Iowa? I know from student body point of view it is. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of classmates, a lot of people at the KUI Sports Department. And I think what makes it more disappointing is the fact that even when they were playing poorly, it was still like, well, they're good enough to get out of this. You know, they're good enough to come back. They should be able to stop them here, but then they didn't. So it was like the disappointment right off the bat with what's going on and then the not being able to, you know, do what they were, what we thought they were supposed to do. And they're disappointing right away, and then it's disappointing when it just continually happened. I think you could argue that this is, if you figure in the expectations, but that 06 team was bad. They went 2-6 and six in the Big Ten, mm -hmm. so they actually lost two more conference games, and that was with... Not the reigning, but from two years removed, the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year with Drew Tate. I, I mean, yeah, Albert Young was the leading Albert rusher, Young, and the yeah. Big Ten was back that yeah, year. Yeah, they had a lot going on that year, but I think 06 and this year, a little different circumstances, but to me, those are his most disappointing teams. But if you look at Iowa football, and Marv can even relate to this, I mean, all the way back to Evashevsky, Iowa football is sort of fragile because I, I remember reading something where never, I believe, in the history of the Iowa football program have they ever finished first and second in the big, at least first or second in the Big Ten more than three years, two years in a row. Like, in, like with under Nevershevsky, they'd go first and second, then there'd be an eighth. Under Hayden, you'd have a first, a second, then maybe a fourth. And to me, that just kind of shows it's like a pendulum that goes back and forth. And maybe this was just inevitable. Kirk had that two-year run. Now it's kind of another cycle. And then maybe in another year or two, he gets it back up. But to me, this is sort of Iowa football, and I know that's kind of depressing to say that, but history shows that, that they were bound to have a, a somewhat mediocre season either this year or next year because it's hard to sustain. I mean, it really is. For me, it's it's massively disappointing. I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's, I don't play, I don't, I don't coach, I don't know what's going on internally, but I mean, you know, my senior year, we were down 35-3 to Indiana. That tells you how good we were. We weren't very, I mean, we were, we had holes. This team, you know, as bad as we as bad as we played against Arizona, kick return for a touchdown, pick six against us for a touchdown. I mean, just anything that could go wrong. We were still winning the game late. You know, Ohio State were winning the game in the fourth quarter. Wisconsin were winning the game in the fourth quarter. We get a, a pick six, a pick on a 28 yard line and have a chance to put the game away. We don't do it. And, and just you know, Northwestern, same thing. Minnesota and. You know, we're five, six plays away from being perfect, and that, for me, is the most frustrating thing. They were in every game they had a chance to win. In my opinion, they should have won every single game they played this year. I, I talked to a couple guys who shall remain nameless who played on last year's team and, and graduated. They were seniors last year. And I asked them, basically, were you surprised? And they said if somebody would have came to them before the season and said Iowa would go 10-2, and two, they would have said the talent is there to go 10-2, 11-1, but not surprised they went 7-5. and five. Because of what left and because that margin of error is so small, and when you make mistakes and there's not a continuity there, continuity there, you know, I think we, we all went into the season predicting, uh, uh, you know, chance that they would compete for the Big Ten title, but you had a whole phase of your team this year in special teams that was just completely inconsistent. At Iowa, you cannot have that. You have to have all three phases going. 
special teams was brutal this year. From the kicking, Donahue, I thought, had it maybe not, maybe his freshman year was his worst year, but he had some inconsistent games this year in crucial times. Uh, the kickoffs, the kickoff coverage, I mean, they were behind the eight ball a lot with special teams, and that had, I think that factored a lot into, I think you can point to every loss and say there were special teams plays that could have been made that could have changed, changed the outcome. Another thing to me that really stood out disappointing-wise was, you, if you, I know it'll sound weird because they have two of the best receivers ever playing, but if you take away Darrell and McNutt, what other receiver this year really developed? And whatever, you see a lot of these top 25 teams play, you'll watch them, there'll be four or five receivers making a contribution. At Iowa, it's the same two guys. And really, other than the, Brad Herman made a couple catches, other than Reisner, you didn't really have a tight end really emerge much either. They go in next year, if McNutt does decide to go pro, which some people are saying he will, this will be the worst receiving core they've had at Iowa in years on paper and experience-wise. And I kept waiting for some more receivers to develop and to get more guys involved in the offense, and it just never happened. Did you ever notice how every time Iowa scored, they would give up a huge return on the kickoff? It seemed like it was a like given momentum every killer. single time. It kills momentum. And if they didn't score, they would, you know, they'd have a nice, you know, they'd stop the punt return and all that. But if they scored, they would give up a huge return. Led the country in interceptions this year. And still, when you're giving it back on special teams or yeah. doing things that allow the other team to make up for those errors, it's going to come at, back to bite you. Now, that was something that was puzzling to me back to Minnesota. I really don't want to dwell on that. But the <laughs> sure. decision, the coaching decision to kick short on every kickoff, it gave them field position to start with near midfield every time. They were afraid Wait, to out. I know, but how much worse could it have been? I agree. That, that was inexplicable to me. It, well, then that raises the next question. I mean, sometimes you can get away with covering up a weakness in one phase. But when you had significant problems in special teams, and then as the season wore on, you had big problems in the other two phases, no team can probably recover very well from that. No, that was just a sign of a team kind of unraveling. They sort of, by the end of the year, they were, they still ran the ball okay against Minnesota. Poor Coker, I mean, he cost that fumble, but he had a decent game. But He was trying to do the right thing. He was he trying just, to do, he was switching the ball over. He was trying to do what his coaches tell him to do. Well, that was working. a good defensive play, too. That yeah, guy it was came a good defensive play. But like Marv said, Minnesota just seemed like they knew they were going to win that game. They wanted more to physical. win that game. Just more physical. To me, that was just that Iowa team had just hit rock bottom at that time. Kind of like that Minnesota game up there in 06. Yeah. Somehow they got that team to rally to almost beat a very good Texas team. So we'll see what Kirk can do now. The circumstances are a little different now, but we'll see what this coaching staff is made of now. I'm taking a different approach. I truly still believe it's a top 10 team. I, I you know, I, I know we've got, but you look at where we've been and what we've done. I mean, we have hurt ourselves. We've hurt ourselves in the games we've lost. We've had chances. We've been in a position to win. I mean, Ohio State, were they better than us? Wisconsin, were they better than us? If we keep our defense on the field and go punt safe on fourth down mm -hmm. with, with eight minutes to go in the damn game with a, with a lead, where are we at? You know, I mean, that's, uh, that's self-inflicted. That's a self-inflicted. Get the ball back. Do what you can. Get three. You know, go into your your six-minute offense and, and win the game. And we give them a fake punt because we did the same thing over and over and over again. Punt. You know, our punt return. The five punts prior was the same exact return. You cannot be that predictable. You cannot be that. Uh, you know, they'll they'll figure it out. 
you know, and Ohio State, you know, we, we score with 10 minutes to go, we're beating Ohio State, we're at home, and you know, fourth and 10, we let him break the pocket, run for a first down. We win the game. We win the game if we stop them on fourth and 10. Two BCS teams, we win. Arizona, we up, you know, the pick six we get in the end of the game, we're winning the game on the road. As bad as we played, we're still winning the game. I mean, it's, it, this is a great football team. This is a great group of football players, and they put themselves in a position to win games, and I think, you know, so I'm excited about, you know, the, the bowl game. I, I, I truly still think that, you know, and that's, that's the amazing thing is we can play that poorly on special teams and still be where we were. If you, I want to come back to that point in a minute, but if you go back and you watch the video, the first five minutes of the Indiana game, the first five minutes of the Northwestern game, and the first five minutes of the Minnesota game, they all looked similar in that Iowa didn't look ready to play in any of those three games. They looked flat, and the other team came out and did good stuff from their perspective right off the bat. So why? Whose responsibility is that? I mean, I think it's a shared responsibility. I mean, with your seniors and with your coaches. But I think some of those things can be expected. You're playing at Indiana. You know, it's like a mausoleum down there. You, it's hard to get yourself motivated. <laughs> you go down there, and they're going to be fired up. You know, they want to beat Iowa. You go to Northwestern, same thing. You got the Fitzgerald angle. Those other teams are going to come out pumped up. But they scored seven points again. Northwestern scored seven points until the last whatever. What was it? The last eight minutes eight of that minutes game. Eight, yeah. You know, Iowa played well enough there, and they, you know, they withstood that early push from the opposition. They just fell apart at the end. Well, the offense never scored more than two touchdowns a game in November. Yeah, let's ask so. Marv as a head coach. How much is it your responsibility to get Regina? to that emotional level it needs to be? How much do you depend on the people around you? Well, I, I think a lot of it is, is the other team has a good plan in place. They make you look lethargic. They make you look slow. They make you look like you're late to the, the punch on things. And, and, and to Indiana, Northwestern, Minnesota's credit for the most part, they understand what we're doing off our defensively. And, and, and Chapel, the quarterback, and, and the quarterback at, at uh, Northwestern, they'll take that four-yard completion. They're, they're content with that four-yard completion, getting to second, sixth, getting to third and two, and then line up and play another snap. Where Terrell Pryor and some of these other players aren't as content. They'll force it. They'll try to make a big play. The Northwesterns, the Indianas, are more patient. They're willing to take the dink and dunk, and they won't drop the ball. They won't have a you know batted pass on third and six and create a punt. You know they'll convert those third down opportunities, and, and I think you know a lot of that is. And you brought up a good point. We loop our corners. If we can't press out the corners and take away that eight-yard hitch or that six-yard hitch, they're going to bang it all day long. And if our backers can't cover the intermediate flat routes like A.J. Eads used to do and Anger used to do, we're going to have some problems. And as good as James Morris as it was, he was still a freshman, a true freshman. You know, and, and, and teams at times try to take advantage of him. You watch Pat Anger in the NFL right now, I mean, they, you see the good teams, I mean, they make him look like a rookie. You know, and to think that's that's the difference coming out of high school to college, as good as James Morris was, and I love the guy, one of the best high school football players I've ever seen, but it's just a tough, tough step to play in the Big Ten level. And the good teams, Northwestern's Indiana, the good passing attacks that are disciplined, they'll take advantage of guys like that all day long. 
those guys that you mentioned too were all guys that had seen Iowa before. You know, Chapel, yeah. uh, Persa, Weber. They'd all seen. They, you know, they'd been through it before too. So it wasn't like they just saw something on film. They had actually been on the field against Iowa and seen what you know. They saw what was available against that defense. Well, the million-dollar question, outside of the cliches of we need to execute better and that sort of thing, is why? Why did this happen in November? Because Kirk doesn't seem to have an answer yet, and the players certainly didn't, at least after the Minnesota game. Claymore's saying they lost their will to win. Um, I think you're always at risk of that happening when you have a bunch of kids. I mean, you, I mean, the success that, that, they had last year at the Orange Bowl, and then, like we were talking about, they got to that Michigan State game and just rolled them. And then, who knows? Maybe you don't. Maybe you take things for granted after that. Yeah, I don't know, Pat. You talked to those guys, too. It was tough to think that... Well, I think Marv hit on it earlier. After they lost to Wisconsin, I know they beat Michigan State, but then it almost seemed like once they lost... Who did they, who did they, they lose? They beat Indiana. They, beat, yeah. they lost to Northwestern. They probably shouldn't have, but they did. But they, they're hard to explain. It is what it is. They I'm won. Trying to so think. Right. Now, my theory's not right, though, because then they came back and played well against Ohio State. It's... It just seems like there's times when you get 85 kids like this, sometimes the ball's not going to bounce your way. Sometimes you're just going to get a disconnect with the players. And you have Some, teams that play to the level of their competition. Yeah, and something, sometimes it just doesn't work. I mean, sometimes the team just doesn't reach its potential, and I think that's what happened with this team. Well, the, the teams play to their – I mean, coaches will coach that way too. Trestle's the same way. They, they, they play it close to their vest. Mm-hmm. And I think Coach Ferentz is a very conservative guy offensively by nature. He, he, he relies heavily on his defense, and he's going to make his defense go out and win the game. He doesn't want his offense to have to win the game. He wants his defense to have to win the game. And, and, and the problem is, in the Big Ten, if you leave it close, there's enough good players in the Big Ten that'll beat you, that'll rise up and make a play and beat you. And I think, you know, I mean, we go back to last year. I mean, we, we ended up going to a BCS game. We could have easily lost two or three of games. You know, you and I bought two block field goals. I mean, I mean, you know, if you play it that close, you know, it's like flipping a coin at the end of the dang game and see who wins. And and and, and you know, I'm just I, I don't like that. I mean, I don't want. <laughs> let's you know, let's put it away. You know, let's play like Michigan State and uh, or Bre- or Wisconsin. Yeah. And I thought offensively, you know, we just we don't have that mindset offensively to, to bury teams. We, were, we relied way too heavily on our defense. But they did it against Michigan State, which was awesome. That one, yeah. How about, a lot of that might have been Michigan State, too. Yeah. They may have just had... I mean, but he had Stansy in the whole game. I know we yeah. got the Vandenberg was hurt, but John Winky looked like he was okay to yeah. come in and hand the ball off in the fourth quarter. Robinson gets a concussion at the beginning of the fourth quarter. I mean, just didn't seem as consistent. One of the, uh, one of your colleagues in the press box at, between the Marvin and I were talking about this earlier. Between the first and second quarter, looked over at me and he said, well, one of the assistants told me they were going to make a, this game a statement game, especially offensively. The Michigan State game? Yeah, and they certainly did. Well, they did. They but said that this is our last good game of the year. Yes. That was their statement. <laughs> but they had all those opportunities the next week in Indiana. I know. They were so tight. The fades in the end zone. It, yeah. It just didn't in November, they quit making plays. Yeah. I mean, there were times where they could have tackled Dan Persa, where it came down to nothing Coach Ferentz could have done or anybody came down to a 19-year-old kid trying to make a tackle in open space, and they just didn't do enough of it. And just the play with Pryor that you said. Somebody needed to make that play. The defensive end got sucked in. Klug wasn't fast enough to go back there and catch 
Terrell Pryor, they just didn't make plays in November. Just one-on-one -on -one plays. At, no at Northwestern. In he's got, throws into double coverage to yeah. Durrell with McNutt running free underneath wide open. and didn't see it. And then when he did throw the guys that were wide open in November, it was usually inaccurate. Right. Well, I guess I'm sort of inclined to agree with Marv's comment about uh, if you go back and look at the team and look at the talent on the team, that's, I think, what makes this more inexplicable to me. Um, other than, I think, the injuries, the cumulative injuries at linebacker really did begin to take their toll yeah, Tyler Nelson as the season went along because you were down to, what, eight, seven, eight, in some cases on the depth chart. But other than that, you know, we had injuries at running back, but really, they stayed relatively healthy for most of the season. That just makes us hard to, harder to understand. Well, let, let, let's go back to special teams for a second. If you look at quotes from opposing coaches and opposing players at Iowa's special teams schemes, now we're going to talk schemes for a while, everybody's favorite topic. The Wisconsin said it with a fake punt that was the backbreaker probably in that game. They said, you know, we watched Iowa's, they weren't in punt safe, they dropped everybody back. They did it consistently and so, you know, they weren't afraid to run the fake punt. In Minnesota after the game, you heard the Minnesota players saying, yeah, we were going to do the onside kick on our first kickoff no matter what because Iowa pulled all their players back off that line. The minute they started to do it, the kicker starts to approach the ball. Is that a schematic failure? I mean, it, plus they started 14. Yes. Know, the, the guy's at 14 yards to start with. I mean, and so he's got four yards to make up just to get back. And if he drops back at all, now he's five or six yards. And by the time the kicker rolls at 10, I mean, the, the two arrows were just crushed him. I mean, you, you, you know, and, and, and the idea of being 14 is it allows you to get back and set up as they're running down on you and get better position setting up. But, you know, ball security first. You know, and it, it was perfectly executed. I'm not going to say it wasn't, but if he's at 10 yards, he has a chance to make that play. At 14, he has no chance to make that play. But, so, but, but is that a coaching scheme? It, it's, a, it's a schematic. It's, yeah. it's putting, your position, putting your players in position to be successful. I mean, I thought if you watch the Michigan State-Northwestern game, the Michigan State actually the, the best fake punt because every time that Michigan State was, every time Northwestern was backed up, they would jam, 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 and then they'd run out of bounds, which technically is a smart strategy because on a pooch punt, you don't want to, the, uh, the guy that's blocking the, the burner outside to get hit with the ball that's bouncing around. So he runs out of bounds, he's safe. But if you do it every time, you do what Michigan State does. The punter steps up, acts like he's punting, the guy runs out of bounds, he throws the ball to him. You cannot be that repetitive. You cannot be that predictable. predictable. Yeah, that's exactly right. In, in anything that you're doing, and in, in otherwise great teams are going to find that and they're going to exploit it. Well, I think, but weren't there really kind of two different sets of issues on special teams? I mean, you had the one set that really was, I think, execution on kickoff coverage, for example. Well, the Arizona Where, game. Yeah, the, yeah, Arizona, you, the guy people, got totally sucked in. Yeah, they weren't playing, they didn't play staying their in their lanes. But, but, right. but that's a different issue than who's your schemes. special teams guy this year? Yeah. It's Lester Herb. No, but who, who's the player? We normally have a player. Well, it was going to be Bruce Davis. You know, Bob Jamie Sanders, Jamie Murphy. No, you're right. I mean, Mark, it was Zach yeah, Gableman. Yeah. I'll throw his name. Dallas Clark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dallas Clark. Chad Greenway. Jamie Murphy. You know, that's, the, that's the other thing. When you struggle, if you struggle at all, you throw your, you st you throw your starters in there. You throw your best 11, because that is the play that is changing field position more than anything else. Sean hit it right on the head. You score, you get a chance, the crowd's into it, all of a sudden they're back on the 50. I mean, it, it destroys you. 
it destroys any crowd excitement, any momentum that you got. And so you got to get your best 11 on the field uh, in special teams. Not to make excuses for them, but two of their biggest plays, the fake punt, Wisconsin, um, two freshmen was one of the players who got burned by it. And that same two freshmen, who I think is going to be a good player, like Don Shepard, the receiver, he was offsides at a crucial time in that one game on special teams. and. But to me, the fact that they have to use a true freshman like that makes me wonder if a second-year sophomore didn't develop or isn't developing. Then you open up a whole can of worms recruiting. Would they play this year? Nine? Was At it least nine, nine true freshmen? You play nine. A lot of them were on special teams. And there weren't great true freshmen. No. That's a sign that some of the other guys aren't developing. You know how Iowa football works. You come here, you redshirt. You've redshirt freshman year. You start to help on special teams. By the time you get to that sophomore year, you're Tyler, star on special Tyler teams. Tyler Nielsen. And contributing on on every down and what have you, but this year it's something, something got kind of skewed with that. A lot process. of young players on special yeah, teams. Yeah, way too many young players. Well, after that Wisconsin fake punt, I think, unless I'm not remembering correctly, I think every single punt for the rest of the season they were in punt save. Oh, yeah. yeah. Every they were never going to let that happen again, but they were also never going to ever have, when's the last time they had a really good punt return? No knock on Colin Sandeman, he was ball security. Again, that that lends itself to the conservative nature yep. of the coach and his staff. Catch the ball. Catch the ball. We don't care if you have any returns. We don't want you to risk anything. So they didn't get anything on punt returns this year. Uh, I mean, the Minnesota onside kick, again, after the game, the Iowa players said, oh, yeah, we had practiced that and we're ready for it. Well. They didn't look remotely ready for it. No. So. And they would have had to have bend over and looking like bending over when he was it was even a problem for them that day. They just looked flat and just out of sync. They like they did like Marv said. They just didn't want to be there. Neither did I. It <laughs> was a long drive to watch that. And I know, I still, I miss the dome. I, I, it's too bad the weather was that cold. I mean, you know, every time they play Minnesota now in November, the weather's always going to be a story. And to me, it just shouldn't have to be. I mean, I, I didn't really mind the Metrodome. I'm glad I wasn't in there the other day, but. <laughs> Did you like playing in the Metrodome? I did. I love playing in the I would think yeah. so. To me, I've seen some of the best games ever, Iowa football there. The 49-42 to 42 game in 1994 with Cedric Shaw, that was a great game. The weather was not an issue. I'm not making excuses for Iowa, but they didn't handle the weather. Like Marv said, they looked like they were – Ricky Stanzi, the moment any play ended that day, the, he rushed his hands. and It just seemed like he was just thinking about it the whole time. And, and you will notice when they make play – I just this is stuff that th sticks out to me, and maybe I'm just looking too much into it, but – Stanzi would throw a touch through a touchdown pass, you know, to McNutt or something. Usually, you go, you celebrate with your teammate. He darted right to the sideline. Did that jacket warm. Just I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe the chemistry wasn't the, there. Yeah. Preoccupied with the. I did hear. I did hear one. I only read this in one story, but when Minnesota built that new stadium, and it looks like a nice stadium, it's and nice. they spent whatever seventy million or however much, and they wouldn't spend. They didn't budget the extra six hundred thousand for the, the underground grass. heating grass. system. No coils. No yeah. coils. And the Vikings are going to try to play yeah. out their money. And the Bears. The Bears are, it sounds like the Bears are going to lose. They're they're filing a petition saying that it's too dangerous to play on that field. But it looks like they're going to have to play on that field. Here we go again on fourth and goal. They go empty. Holden keeps it. No touchdown. Not short. Well, that was great effort. Christian Ballard, Jeremiah Hunter. After further review, the ruling on the field is confirmed. 14 plays, 70 yards, using up almost eight minutes on the clock, Bob, and unable, Penn State is, to get it into the end zone.
defensive coordinator Norm Parker is back with the Hawks after his diabetes-related surgery and rehab, steadily increasing his workload and preparing for the Missouri Tigers' explosive offense. Norm talks about how much he missed coaching the team during his absence. I, I, I really missed it when, uh, you know, the first game I got to come to was the Michigan State game, and I was sitting at that game and you know, up in the press box and, and just thinking to yourself, you know, this is really where I want to be. This is this is who I am and what I live for. And, you know, so there, there's no questions of my intentions next year is uh, to be back and to be back stronger and healthier than ever. What, what, what I miss in, in before when I was coaching, it was all about the wins and that kind of stuff. Now it's about being around the guys. In other words, I like to be around the young guys. I like to be being around the coaches. I like being out of the house. Uh, don't say that too loud. It's just, I, I guess it, it amounts to, I really realized what I am and who I am, and this is what I like. You know, I mean, this is really what I like doing. And Parker was asked about the struggles his defense had late in games this season, especially in the five losses. You know, that's that's football. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, you know, you get the bear, and sometimes the bear gets you. Uh, really, I, I, if you ask me to explain this year the Big Ten, I'd say it was the year of the quarterback. I mean, I think we got beat and we had trouble controlling some really, really good quarterbacks. I mean. If you take this league, I, I mean, you, you could argue about who's the best. Is, is it Pryor? Is it Persa? Is it Stanzi? Is it the kid from Indiana? I, I mean, you go on and on and on with the, the quality quarterbacks that were in the league, and, and they were all good enough to beat you. They were all good enough to beat you. You know, and, and these guys are taking the ball and running all over with it. But if I had to explain this year's Big Ten season, it was the year of the quarterback. I mean, I think Cousins is excellent. I think Stansy's good. I, the kid from Wisconsin's good. The kid from Northwestern, the guy from Indiana, the Ohio State guy, the, the Michigan quarterback is like a jackrabbit. I mean, every, every team had a quarterback that, that was capable of beating you. And uh, you don't get that every year. Let's turn to the defense. Looking back in hindsight, do you think this team actually did miss Norm Parker than we all talked about during the course of the season? Uh, I think they just missed the extra set of eyes. I mean, obviously he, he oversees a bit. I mean, just just that calming influence in the locker room, that ability to say, hey, we've seen this before. Remember, you know, and he can recall 20 years ago a certain you know scheme that was was hurting them and, and an adjustment that they would be able to make. I mean, it's, it's just an extra personnel. It's an extra body. And, and like I said, an extra set of eyes. And obviously Norm's brilliant and been around football for a long time. So, you know, it, it had to have helped. I mean, they were basically coaching with one less coach than everybody else. I think they missed Eads, Pavey, and <laughs> Anger more. I think they did miss Norm, don't get me wrong. I think it's never going to help any team that has to deal with that distraction. But to me, the way A.J. Eads covered in space and the fact that Spivet basically shut down half the field and the fact that Anger just led the team emotionally and in tackles and what have you, I was guilty of underestimating that. And you combine that with Norm and the fact that Claiborne didn't have the season maybe we thought he was going to have, to me that was a perfect storm for the defense to underachieve. And it didn't allow the front four to get as much pressure when you got linebackers that are staying in their coverage and able to cover guys and not, as, as Marv was talking about earlier, letting Persa and Chapel and Weber have time back there. 
if their guys are covered, then the defensive line can get in there. And that wasn't the case this year. I'm interested to see, from what we've heard from Kirk, Norm's been back and he's preparing them for this inside ball. We'll see if it makes a difference in this game. What's your prediction on what role of Norm Parker will be playing in Iowa football at the start of the 2011 season? My, my prediction is he'll, he'll have as much of a role as he wants to have. I mean, I think he's got that much clout and, and that much power. Uh, it, I truly don't know how it all shakes out from here, though. I mean, it's just a matter of what, it, what his health will allow him to do, I think. And, and obviously, he's passionate about it and, and loves it. And so I, I think Coach Ferentz will let him have as much say as he wants to have. Yeah, Kirk said as much. He said if, even if he can only come into the office and watch film and write down some notes, he's going to take him in whatever capacity he can. I think it's still a fluid situation, but I also think that with Norm, at some point, it's got to be all or nothing. I mean, I just don't think Iowa can afford to have a defensive coordinator who's just not totally full-time with the job. I think it would hurt any team. And with Iowa, I just don't think they have the talent to overcome something like that. I think you need your defensive coordinator out there recruiting. I think you need him there every day. And I, I still it's think tough. it's tough. Yeah. It's a tough situation because really he's given is. so much he's to the program. So and he knows so much. And Kirk's not going to want to run him off. No. But... You know, what if it rolls around August next year and he has another bout with something yeah. from his illness? What and do you then, do then? Yeah. You hire a defensive coordinator then. So I think it's a fluid situation. We may learn more as the spring and summer progresses. Given the more innovative offenses that are out there, I'll ask the question a lot of that. We do have questions that listeners have submitted, so I'll get several of them. But is this still a sound defensive scheme? Has it? Has it? Does it need to evolve at least a little bit? It looked great last year against Georgia Tech. It looked great last year in most of the games they played last year. It's a great scheme when the players are making it work. It's a scheme that you question after a while. I do think I sometimes I wish they would blitz more. I wish they would mix things up because I think this year we saw what happens when you do become predictable. And I don't think they recruit enough talent year in and year out to make up for being predictable. And I think that hurts them on defense just as much as it does on offense. And I think the stubbornness there with staying with that base too much this year. When you had those injuries at linebacker, why not run some nickel and dime? You got a bunch of defensive backs over there, and they did that at some point. And and did well with it. I just I felt like they didn't want to take that risk. Well, it's it, we're square peg team, you know, offensively and defensively. We are who we are. And if you don't have square peg guys, you're gonna have a problem running this defense and this offense. And and um, you know, I mean, if if you don't have corners that can come up and take away the cheap stuff, if you don't have linebackers that can cover in space on backs and slot receivers, you're gonna have problems. And and if you can't get pressure with four you got massive problems. Well, you, to build on what you were saying a few minutes ago and have said multiple times over the course of the season, it's something that Ed Podolak said in the pregame show at, before the Northwestern game. At that point, at this point in the season, I'll paraphrase, you, every other, every opponent knows your tendencies on offense and defense. And you, as a coaching staff, certainly have to know your tendencies and you need to coach away from them at that point in the season. Is that pretty accurate? I, I think it's exactly right. I mean, the one thing you want to do is tendency breakers. You know, I mean, you got to have some blitzes in there. You got to have some packages in there that says, here's what it looks like. And I'll, I'll speak offensively, but you want to have plays that look like this, but then there's something else. You know, we have done some creative, we have done some blitzing at times, but we just, it's not part of who we are and what we do. And that's, you know, like I said, I, it, it, if you don't have square peg guys, if you don't have corners and linebackers and cover in space, 
and, and then get a front four that can pressure the quarterback. That, that's what our defense is built on. Rushing four, getting pressure with four. And if, and if we can't do that, we're gonna. It's it's the good teams are gonna exploit you. And and then North when Northwestern just went down the field twice in the fourth quarter, you know, and it was and Claiborne took himself out of the game. It was obvious they were gassed. That to me is a time where hey maybe do some nickel or dime or run a three four do something different there do something to stop him. He went down the field once on you. Do something the next time maybe to throw him off a little bit. And I'll go back to I think a lot of that is is the offense being non-productive that you know, we talked about this before yeah. I mean you know I played on a, a, a New England Patriots team that we were terrible offensively our defense was great but the problem is if you get Jim Kelly or Dan Marino that 12th possession that 13th yeah. possession that 14th possession they're going to figure you out and they're going to find ways to exploit it and and offensively you know we just didn't take enough pressure off off the defense and gave the other team's offenses enough shots at our defense that they were able to find ways to, to make it work. It's a perfect transition into the next question. This is part defense, part yeah. offense, part, and from some from the listeners. And a little bit from stories I pulled throughout the season. If you look at the national, Iowa's national rankings this year on offense and defense, it reflects the national rankings they've had pretty typically on offense and defense from 2002 through 2009. Typically Iowa's defense is somewhere between 1 and 15 in most uh, phases, and typically Iowa's offense is worse than 60th, almost year in and year out. This year, did what we see, is it at least somewhat accurate to say that the defense was more or less as good as it has been the last few years, but the real problem, in November at least, and against Wisconsin, was Iowa's offense, the inability to sustain drives, control time of possession, stay on the field and make big plays, therefore leaving the defense out on the field too much against offenses that tend to, use your term, gas the defense. They spread it out, they spread the ball all over the place, they run no huddles, they run hurry up, and the defense really gets gassed because it's just on the field too long by the fourth quarter. I think by November that was, they were both feeding off each other in a bad way. And the offense, just when Ricky lost his accuracy, I mean, his best attribute to me was his accuracy for his last year and when he wasn't throwing interceptions. This year he just lost his, he, didn't hit receivers in stride, made the receivers work too hard. But yeah, those three and outs were killers. And the defense statistically, they there were some of those games where even where they gave up those game-winning drives, they still had decent stats overall. They just got exposed at the wrong time. But I still say to me, just the lack of skill players that emerged on offense in space this year outside of I just thought you'd see more receivers this year I thought they'd have more weapons to where Ricky it was to the point where if he wasn't completing the ball to Reisner Durrell or McNutt they weren't going to complete a pass and I just don't think enough guys developed and that could be the coaches I mean like Rob said they don't play a lot of guys they stick with their basic guys I mean Hayden used to do that I mean I remember Hayden would say we'd wonder about some of these hot shots that wouldn't play until they're through oh we thought we'd put him in he'd run the wrong way you know I mean and I think some of those guys they just didn't develop this year and they didn't have as many weapons how many guys caught passes for Northwestern in that game 
and made big plays yeah. for Northwestern in that game. Iowa, they had like two or three playmakers by the end of the year. But that's, I mean, that, that's who we are offensively. We're two tights. We're, you know, tight end fullback. We got two receivers on the field at any given time. We don't go four wides. We don't go three. Oh, I know. Wide. And I think yeah, it caught up with them. I agree. I agree. I, I think our strength was our skilled guys. I mean, I think DJK, Marvin McNutt, Reisner, you know, and Ricky Stans were our four hammers on offense. And um, you know, but we, you know, we're trying to run the football effectively. And, and and the key is, I mean, if you take two teams and you say we want to be like. It's Wisconsin and Iowa. Yep. I mean, they want to line up and they want to pound you into oblivion, and they want offensively and defensively. And that's where we just, as offense, we couldn't do that. We couldn't do what Wisconsin could do. You know, Wisconsin hangs 70 on teams, and they're running the ball. You know, they're not throwing. They're running the ball down people's throats, and we just couldn't do that this year. <clears throat> In years past, we've been able to do that. So it kind of gets back to my round pegs where, you know, you know, we don't have the round peg guys up front that we can just impose our will on people. And, and um, you know, as good as they were and as solid as they were, just we weren't able to consistently just line up and get three. You know, if we can get three yards, you know, we can go three yards every single time. We just couldn't do that. It's the Kirk Ferentz philosophy. It's, it's the whole. It's the... You know, the, the eat the clock, run the ball offense, then don't break mm -hmm. defense, and solid special teams. And if those things are working well enough together, you come out with, with close wins. When they're not, you come out with close losses. And when you have a breakdown in one phase, one area, it just seemed like this year there, was, there were a lot of breakdowns at the wrong times on all, in all three phases. Well, back to my earlier comment, I, I talked a long time, I buried the lead. The lead was, is the main problem with Iowa's defense, Iowa's offense. But yeah, I think, it all, I, think it, I think it all is connected. I think all of those things work in unison together. And if you have one phase, as, as these guys were talking about, like the offense not holding up their end, it makes the defense look bad. When the special teams isn't holding up their end, makes you know the offense or defense look bad. You know what's, you know what's amazing is I, I think Ricky Stanzi through the first five or six games was about as good as I've seen. I mean, decision making was, was flawless. And some of the balls he was throwing was just long. perfect time, you know, perfect, uh, you know, touch into there. And then just like, like a switch hit and just couldn't, like you said, just with the accuracy went, the timing was off and it just, it just didn't flow the last five or six weeks. And it was, it was like watching two completely different offenses. How do you explain that? Is it possible he was hurt and we don't know it? No, I just think sometimes it happens. He seemed tentative to me. I don't know about you guys. It just seemed like he was afraid maybe yeah. to make a, to make make a play well, because of what happened last year with the interceptions. Yeah, I, I read a couple of stories about the theory that they pounded into his head so much, don't make all those mistakes you made last year, that that they almost overcoached him and made him too afraid to go for maybe a little bit of the gunslinger attitude isn't bad. I mean, that could be part of it, but there was so many times in November where there was a wide open wide receiver and he just made a poor throw that he normally doesn't make. And that's one thing as a fan and a person like myself, I take for granted, but it's not easy to throw a football to somebody. When you take for granted that down and out 20 yards, hitting a receiver perfectly straight, that's not easy to do. That's why when you watch Tom Brady, Tom Brady's play, you're just amazed. That's 
hard to do. He just lost it for a while. There's, you've got stories of great professional baseball hitters having a bad year even hitting the ball. I think he just went into a prolonged slump in November, and it just kind of snowballed. He wasn't missing receivers by a foot or two, though. He was, like, overthrowing them and six feet. he was feet. long. He was I, long I, on most of them. So I, it's hard to say. It's hard to explain. He, at one point, though, he was actually on Heisman watch list. Oh, yeah. Through five or six games, I mean, he, he was that good through the first five or six games against some good competition. And now we talked about that in these shows. 19 yeah. touchdowns and two interceptions. Yeah. And, and even though you're not throwing the interceptions that he threw last year, he made more plays last year. Yeah, yeah, he did, and he led game-winning drives. Right. And that's and it seemed like this year, not that he didn't play well, he just. It's just kind of weird when you figure two of their most recognized quarterbacks in the last four or five years, Drew Tate and Ricky Stanzi, both finished their careers on a real down note. Got worse their senior year. Not so happy Valley right now for those Nittany Lion fans. But uh, the other 77,000. Even happier after this interception by Sean Prater. And Prater's thinking about six. Touchdown! Sean Prater, hamstring all summer. He feels pretty good tonight. And that hamstring feels a lot better. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa Hawkeyes are in Arizona preparing for the Insight Bowl. Ferentz previews the Missouri team the Hawks will face in that game. Missouri's an outstanding football team, 10-1 season uh, this year, and 40 wins in the last four years, so I think that, that speaks volumes about the kind of football team they have currently and what they have had. You know, Gary Pinkle and his staff have done a great job down there, a lot of good football players, and offensively, very, very uh, wide open, four wides, five wides. Quarterback Gabbert's an excellent passer and also a very good runner Deceptively good runner, so you know they're, they're a very, uh, very good football team that way. And then defensively, I think they're giving up 15 points a game, which is stellar, and a big part of their success. Very, very athletic at all positions. Very disruptive. I think they have 38 sacks, and you know just done a great job. And are, are very tough once you get down in there. They don't give up many touchdowns, so that's yeah, going to be a great challenge for us. Uh, one we're looking forward to. Kirk talks about Missouri star quarterback Blaine Gabbert. You know he's big. He throws the ball extremely well, very accurately, and they they, uh, they throw and catch extremely well and that, that's what they do the best and uh, but again I think the other hidden dynamic it really doesn't show up statistically but he's, he's a very effective runner very dangerous runner so uh, it's not like he's a, a big plotting guy at all that's not the case he's a, he's a guy who can you know run very well and very athletic uh, they've got a good offensive line uh, led by their center who's a veteran player and uh, they're very efficient at, at what they do you know they've, they've been uh, the systems evolved through the years and I'm, I'm going back to where they were more of a, a two tight end team and ran the quarterback an awful lot they've evolved into a very good throwing football team and uh, yeah, he doesn't hang on to that ball and he knows where to go with it and uh, does a nice job throwing it accurately too so uh, as a result of that they've been very very proficient offensively and Ferentz was asked if the insight bowl offers his team a chance at some redemption following a very disappointing november i think most specifically none of us were real uh, thrilled about the, the performance in the last game so that's probably the most uh, recent thing that we're thinking about and this is a chance to get back on the field and hopefully play a better game you know just just for the record i mean you know i I thought the Ohio State game was a pretty competitive game. It was two, two pretty good teams like a year ago, two pretty good teams that competed hard, and it would have been great to win it. We wanted to win it, but I don't think anybody walked away ashamed about that performance and felt the same way a year ago in Columbus. So, you know, it's easy to generalize, but uh, there's no question our last last time out, you know, we didn't play very well. If, if we don't play better, we'll lose by 40 in this one. You know, just it won't be pretty. Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Sherman's bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no!
Sherman, forget it, he's rolling. And it ain't over now. Stands he's going to go long. Has a man out there, and it is caught. Did he catch it in bounds? Yes. Touchdown, Daryl Johnson Kulianos. Give credit to the Iowa coaches recognizing their quarterback maybe was a little too amped up. Uh, they finally got him calmed down, and this was a wonderful read. Well, you got to give credit to the offensive line of Iowa. That play took a long mm -hmm. time to develop, and that meant that Reef, Vanderbilt, Ferentz, McMillan, and Zuzovic had to do their job and do it well. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeye's Mike podcasts through iTunes. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs on Hawk Central, Hawkeye Insider, and in the Daily Iowa. And broadcast school has really paid off. Quick-looking pass. Got it. Not only the first down, Daryl Johnson Kudianis. That is a record-setting catch for him. His third touchdown of the afternoon. Hawkeye's Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefins Botanicals Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883. 0842 Marsh Cook for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to ABC, ESPN, and the Big Ten Network for the season highlights. And thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook, Pat Hardy, Rob Howe, and Sean Patchett. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.